morning, church. Hope everybody's well this morning. Really excited about today. God has already been moving um, in our earlier service and will continue to move now. And we pray that God moves on our other campuses in uh, Vidalia and Millen and Dublin as well this morning. We hold them up in prayer as well. We're finishing up Faith and Fear, as John told you earlier. The last day of that, really excited about, about this, um, uh, but super excited about next week. We begin a new series called By Design, and I get the privilege of starting that series off, and it is a, a marriage series, um, but it's going to be about relationships, about marriage, about families, all that will, will be involved in it. So all of us need to be here, and we know of at least 10 or 12 other people in our lives that need to be here as well. So please get the word out. Invite your friends, invite family members to be here. It's going to be a phenomenal time to be able to spend together and talk about some foundations of marriage and family and all that goes into that. And hopefully, and I know that you will take some truths away from it. So invite those who you know uh, to be here. We're going to finish up this series on faith and fear in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, the last uh, th three or uh, so verses, there's a little bit after this, we're going to focus on these three verses. Um, when uh, Brandon asked me to do this, we, we talked about 51 through 53, 1 Samuel 17, 51 to 53, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Then we're going to move into Proverbs, uh, to a, a very, very common um, verse that a lot of people quote and throw out all the time. We're going to break, it, break those ver verses apart as well and see how they tie in to, um, to what happened this day. So 1 Samuel 17, let's look at, at, at some of the things that were going on at the end of this right after, literally right after David kills Goliath. So verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with his own sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sheram road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for what you've already done. We thank you for commitments that were made to you to this morning about taking their next steps. We thank you for baptism, God. We thank you for uh, the ability and, and the freedom to be able to do that, for being able to watch that and celebrate that today. Such a blessing to have that as part of our worship. We thank you for the worship we've had, the songs that we've sung, the prayers that we've prayed. God, we ask that you right now use your word. Help us to break it open, Lord, and, and plunder around in our hearts today. Break us where we need to be broken, God. Amend us where we need to be mended. We thank you, God, for loving each one of us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So when I was asked to do the, the, these verses of Scripture, I, I think I thought about it. I read them, and I was like, all right, so, so David kills Goliath. That's cool. And now the Philistines run. That's, that's cool. They're scared. The Israelites chase them down kill a bunch of them, go back and steal their stuff. That'll be easy to preach about. Uh, it's the American way, but not really what we should be talking about in church, right? What, what do we take from that? But I, I really, as we thought through it and, and talked about it, it's about being inspired to take your next step. These Philistines were scared to death and they run, and the Israelites had, had gone through so many 
um, obstacles and given so many promises by God and they failed and they succeed and fail, succeed. And now they take their next step to go after these folks and destroy them as God has asked them to do. And they were inspired by David, who, who's this little guy who, who takes on just a sling and, and a few stones and goes and kills this giant. So they're inspired by that. So today I want to talk about we're paralyzed by things at times. We're, we're paralyzed by not taking our next step at times. And about 20 years ago, I became paralyzed um, with pain. And that pain came from something you may, uh, many of you know about because you have these from time to time. But it was a, a kidney stone. About 20 years ago, this happened to me. I was shopping uh, at a grocery store for a youth event over in West Georgia, and I have this pain that overwhelms me. Now, when I finish this, you know, please don't email me your kidney stone stories. I, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't care, but don't one-up me with your big old kidney stone and how long it took you to pass it and all that. Mine was this big. Let's just go with that, all right? And I passed it because I'm a man, and I passed that thing. But... I go to our local doctor. We're in a town of like 4,000 people, and we have a doctor who's there in town. He's, he was 107 at the time, still going strong, great doctor, good friend. It was a part of our church. I go over there and, and do the old uh, specimen thing. So he realizes, you have a kidney stone. I said, well, what do we do about it, doc? He said, I'm going to send you to the hospital. Well, the hospital is in Warm Springs, and half of it's a hospital. The other half is a veterinary clinic, I'm pretty sure. It's very small. Um, I, they just, they do things slowly, and all they did was just, just gave me drugs and slowed everything down. It took forever, like, like a week or so for me dealing with this pain, finally going to another doctor um, in a bigger city in Columbus to figure it out, got rid of it. So that's 20 years, no problems. Doctor asked me how much water I drank at the time. I said, does brushing my teeth count? He said, no. I said, well, I'm, I'm out. Um, so I increased that. So for 20 years, have had no issues whatsoever with kidney stones. I guess you know where this is going. About four weeks ago, on a Monday morning, I'm over at the sheriff's office and, and have the privilege of serving them as chaplain. And, and, and I go in on Monday mornings, and I have prayer with, with the command staff and just kind of open up. But right when I pulled up there, I started having this pain. This pain on my left side, kind of right here, and I was thinking, what is this? So as, you know, most smart people do, I, I asked Siri where my appendix was. Because I, I wanted to know how much time I had because I needed to go to this meeting. So if I was going to have a rupture, I had to, had to back it down a little bit. So Siri told me it was on my right side. Of course, she's right because she's Siri. So I said, all right, it's not my appendix, so it must be a kidney stone. Well, it increased. I get into the meeting. I start sweating. Um, if you've ever had one, you know there's no position of comfort other than like this. And then you have to move around some more. Nothing works. So I'm sweating profusely. I have the prayer. I have no idea what I said, who I prayed to, what happened that day. I get back in my truck as soon as it's over. Don't tell a soul because my pride is bigger than my mouth sometimes. And I just kept my mouth shut, got my truck, turned the air on wide open. Coming from the sheriff's office to here, thinking I can make this. Literally almost had to pull over and call an ambulance. I'm standing up in my truck, you know, illegally, trying to get comfortable. Get here, come in the back door. Brandon sees me. He's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know what you look like when you're passing a kidney stone, but that's what I look like. All the blood had drained from my face. I, I just laid down in my office, started drinking water. About an hour later, it just stopped. Went to the bathroom. Bloop. There it was, right? I mean, bloop. It was huge. Remember, it was big. So 
So I pass it. I'm like, oh, good gosh, I'm glad this is over with. Well, two weeks later, on a Sunday morning, which is always convenient, 8 o'clock, my right side starts hurting. I'm like, God, you got to be kidding me. So pain hits me. I, I literally just end up leaving church. I don't remember what time. But pain kind of comes and goes. My son has a baseball game that I'm helping coach that afternoon. Got to do that, right? Go work through it. Go out on the field to help coach. I'm coaching first, and I'm not staying or point. I'm not doing anything. I'm just there. Go back to the dugout between every inning and just sit there, hurting, hurting, hurting. Well, about 7.30 that night, I finally, at least I said, I got to go to the hospital. I, I can't stand this. Something's got to be done. So we go to the ER. They start the wallet biopsies and, and charge me money for being there and ordering all this stuff. There's people coming in, and they order the CAT scan. So right before the CAT scan, pain stops again. I'm like, got to be kidding me. I go on in the scan. They do that. Come out. Go to the bathroom. Plop. Do it again. Passed it right there. I said, could you all delete the CAT scan off my bill because I didn't really need that. And the doctor said, well, funny thing is, um, you have some that are over 8 millimeters in both kidneys because you're probably not going to pass those. I said, you watch me. I'll pass them, suckers. <laughs> no, I, I'm folded up in the fetal position. There's no, no pride in this at all. It hurt, hurt bad. But I, what I figured out in this and thinking about this story, I was inspired to do something about it. And many of us are inspired to do stuff or we're forced to do stuff out of pain or we're forced to do stuff out of other, what other people do. And we might see something and go, man, I'm inspired to do that too. But what, one of the things that keeps us paralyzed, that keeps us from taking our next step many times is fear. And that's that fear that leads to, to worry and anxiety. And we get caught up and we get bogged down and, and we can't do anything. So I want to ask you the question as we get into this, is there something, have you ever been paralyzed by something that kept you from doing something? And then have you been imp- inspired to change or act on it and do something about it? You know, David proved that the Lord and not size, not armor, not an army, but God himself was going to dictate the outcome of this event. God was going to dictate the outcome of this battle. So let's think about that scene. Let's think about what that looked like at that time. The Philistines were completely caught off guard by this defeat. Because, you see, Goliath was humongous. He was huge. He was their guy. He was however many battles and oh, right? He didn't lose because if he lost, he'd be dead. So he had that one loss that kind of cost him a little bit, right? But he was always the man. And the Philistines got behind him every time. They were like, put Goliath out there. I'm right behind you. You know, they're behind him, literally just sitting there. And these Israelites don't have anything for Goliath. They're scared to death. And little David steps up and goes, I, I got this. I handle lions and tigers and all kind of big old things all the time. I can, I can handle this dude. And, and they try to get him to, to put on armor. And they try to get him to put on all this other stuff to, to defeat Goliath. And he goes, God's got this. He's told me just to get some stones and a, and a slingshot. I'm assuming that most of the Israelites went and hid, you know. They're like, good luck, David. I'm out, you know. I'm checking out of here. My feet are going to outrun your sling, and I'm going to be gone when Goliath stomps you one out. So this champion's defeat, and the Israelites pursue them for what, they, what they're talking about is about 10 to 15 miles. So they chase the Philistines for 10 to 15 miles, killing as they go. And then once they get to the end of that chase... They wander back, and they take all their belongings. They take everything. 
And during this time, during this era, war was all about whose God's the biggest and baddest. So not only was it a physical war, a physical uh, a victory, but it was also a spiritual victory for them as well. So we're inspired by things. We're inspired by, by underdogs. Aren't we, aren't we inspired by sporting events all the time? You can, you can just watch a sporting event and see how, how much people get into it. I, I know I get caught up into it. And I don't even have a vested interest half the time in what's going on. He's sitting on my sofa in the College World Series on. I don't know any of those players. But by the end of this thing, I know where their mama sits in the stands. I know all kinds of things, where they were born, what they're doing, what their average is. And in an hour, it's not going to matter. If I can, be, I can find myself sitting on the edge of my sofa and go, oh, my gosh, please, get a hit, get a hit, get a hit. Does not, I don't even know who this is. You know, I don't even care about who wins. But I get so caught up, and we get inspired by those things. You just watch a game, and if you watch the stands, somebody hits a home run. Everybody in the stands is the same thing, right? Everybody throws their hands up like it's all Pentecostal baseball all of a sudden. Everybody throws their hands up and are celebrating. They didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. When somebody hits a home run, I'm in, in my own living room by myself. Yes! You know, if anybody's watching that, they're like, what are you doing? And I think about that, how are we inspired the same way by what happens over here in the baptistry? Do we have that same type of, of vigor, that same type of passion when we see people go from death to life and make that next step to, to be baptized? Do we get that excited? And I love the way we do baptisms here. I love the way we, we clap and we shout, and that's the way it should be. I can remember working in, in other churches and growing up in churches where, you know, after Sunday school, I think sometime between Sunday school and church, somebody killed Jesus again. Everybody's so, so quiet and so sad. Do y'all not get that at all? I mean, is that, I really thought that was funny. Anyway, but that's the way we look sometimes. We're just downcast about the greatest thing that we could possibly do, something eternal, not something that just lasts for an hour. So it's about taking the next step. So what keeps us from taking that next step? And I think one of the number one things is fear, that anxiety and worry are a huge problem. Do you know that the average high school kid today faces and, and has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s? It's quite a stat. Staggering and it's scary. But no one is immune to fear. No one's immune to anxiety and, and worry. And worry's not just about present and future circumstances. It, it's what we think about what ought to be or what ought not to be. We set these expectations, and, and if they don't turn out, we get really, really upset. But we live prior to the expectations. We know it should work out this way, and we worry about it, or we have fear about it, or we have anxiety about it, if it's going to turn out that way or not. And some people carry so much worry, so much guilt on them, and even people that come into my office, it's raining outside, and they come in, they're like, I'm so sorry it's raining. I'm like, do you control that? I didn't realize you had that much power. You should be in my seat. I didn't know how, how that worked. But people carry so much guilt and so much anxiety at times that we just assume responsibility at things we have no responsibility over. We can't control circumstances all the time, but we tend to worry about it. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, the very known verse that starts, it all, uh, starts this off in Proverbs 3, 5. And we're going to read verses 5 through 8 and, and then break down um, three specific words in here. Um, as to what Solomon is talking about. So Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So the very first word is trust. And trusting in God is not just that one-time decision that many of us have made to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, to have him become Lord of our lives and lead us each and every day. That's not the only trust that we do. That's the beginning of the journey. But the trust that Solomon is talking about when he's writing this goes way beyond it. It goes to every second of every day, of every week, of every month, and of every year. That's trusting in God with all of our decisions. Trusting in God with, with, with our confidence and putting our confidence in, Lord, in the Lord and, and how he wants us to live our lives. It means trusting his commands in the Bible. It means being ready to hear his spirit when he speaks to us. So we are to trust in the Lord. Don't skip past that. As you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see that we're warned about things we tend to put our trust in. It says, trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Don't put your trust in riches or in the property you own or your job even, your earning potential, your retirement accounts. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. Don't trust in the military power. Don't trust in, in, in things that, that man has made. Don't trust in the ability to defend yourself. Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Don't put your trust in your ability to get more than the other guy. Don't trust in, in greed and just getting something. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. This is the opposite side of the coin. Don't let your fear of people control you. In, case you, in this case, you're, you're trusting only what or who you believe is safe. They will let you down. So Solomon points out all these things that are inconsistent. They're temporary. They're not going to last. You can't put your trust in these things day in and day out. They make promises that they cannot deliver. They're untrustworthy. They have no real power to overcome our worry or anxiety. This trust must not be half-hearted. We can't trust him only when we feel like it because our feelings always let us down. When we depend on our feelings, they, they ebb and they flow. They change with the weather even. We can't trust him only as long as there are no hard times in our life. Things are going to happen. We can't just come to him when the need is there. I think God answers those prayers. But I think if we put our trust in him each and every day, we're more prepared to meet those hardships. We're more inclined to be ready for them because God is in the forefront of our lives. That's when we start bargaining with God, not trusting God. God, just get me through this this week, and I'll be there Sunday. Like we have to meet God here, nowhere else. And we know that that's not true. God, God is in all things, at all places, wherever we are, God is there. The second thing in this scripture is that we are not to lean on our own understanding, something we're not supposed to do. If we trust our understanding... We do not trust God. It's the hardest part because we all tend to, to trust our understanding of a situation. 
We all tend to, to trust our emotions. We trust our ability to figure things out, right? And I fall into this trap each and every day because I can do my job really good. I know I have this many clients in a given day. I'm going to see them on, at this amount of time. I'm going to finish. might get some lunch, go home. might have a softball practice or a baseball practice to attend with a child, have dinner, spend time with family, start over the next day. I can do that. And I can do it really good. I can do it on my own. But what I've discovered over time is when God really, really moves through me is when I pause and I say, God, this situation is really heavy and I need you to speak through me. I need to, to just stop and listen. And it's amazing how much less I talk when I ask God to lead in those directions. And sitting with people who are hurting and sitting with people who have lost so much and couples who are right on the verge of not making it or families who have lost so much in so little time. And it's hard, it's difficult to do that. In Philippians chapter 4, it's another common verse that we use. And, and it's really a great couple of verses, verses 6 and 7 there. But, but we usually don't finish this story. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a great two verses. But we spend so much time on do not be anxious about anything. And, and we feel like that's supposed to work. How would you like that if that's the way I preach this? Okay, guys, I know you're anxious. Don't be. Let's pray. What does that do, right? Just stop. Just stop being anxious. Just put that to the side. Stop being anxious. That'd make me more anxious, right? You're not giving me anything. But he says, don't be anxious about anything, but it continues on in every situation. So, okay, I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything at any time, but how? By prayer and petition. I'm supposed to pray about it. I'm supposed to put it before God. Okay, I'm there with thanksgiving, being thankful to God for his past times that he's helped me, and we all have those, present your request to God. So I'm going to lay them at his feet. Well, that's all good. But verse 7 is the key. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. I will guard my heart? No. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. That means I don't have to do it. That means God's doing that for me if I do these things. This is such a great if-then verse. If I lay these things at God's feet, if I lay these things right there for him, he's going to show up, and he's going to be the one who leads me in, in making these decisions. And, and it's foolish for a couple of reasons to think otherwise. First, it, we're undependable. We're totally undependable and inconsistent. We can't trust ourselves to be objective. We can't trust ourselves to be accurate in our thoughts and our feelings. Because we're so short-sighted. God, God has the big picture here. And it's so, so difficult to understand why we feel the way we feel. And the, and the other reason for that is because we're so weak. We're just weak when it comes to these things. You know, we're, we're affected literally by the weather, right? Oh, it's kind of rainy outside. I just feel a little gloomy. Well, what does that have to do with us, right? It's raining, for goodness sake. We're, we're, we're affected by 
the way our team plays, right? Oh, gosh, just, man, I can't believe we lost again. And, and, and everything just kind of overwhelms us. And I, I get those, those feelings from time to time, even, even coaching my, my daughter's team. And I get all wrapped up into it and, and, and making decisions. And, and we might get a, a foot put in us one weekend. And I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about every single play, going back through everything. Could I have done this different, done this different? You know, and I start beating myself up. And, and when I'd be riding home from, from Dublin, and I look in the back seat and, you know, or, or over in the passenger seat, my daughter's over there, you know, Snapchatting, taking half of her face picture or whatever they do with Snapface or whatever that thing is. And they, I don't understand why you take a picture from here up or like that. I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. But I'm over here beating myself up about this game, and she's 16 again. She could care less. She's like, we're eating. You know, it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter as much because she becomes a kid again so quick. My son's the same way. It just doesn't last very long. I think that's wrong. <laughs> I think they ought to like it more, right? I, I envy that, though. I, I want to have that in my life, but we get so caught up as we get older and older and older, and we get stuck there. We get stuck with bringing those things up more and more, and we're, we're weak and impressionable. In verse 7, he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be impressed by yourself pretty harsh but this is exactly what was going on with David and Goliath this this humble kid walks out there and they're looking at him like what are you gonna do and, and Goliath is so impressive with this huge amount of armor he has on he's just a big guy everybody is scared of him just by looking at him I've never had anybody do that with me look at me like man you don't want to mess with him I don't get that much you know I don't walk into a room and everybody go man I bet he could whoop you Nah, never happened really, you know. I'm not going to outrun you, but I don't know about what else. But that's what's going on here. Don't be impressed by yourself. Don't be wise in your own eyes. So we're to trust the Lord with all our heart and guard ourselves from thinking that we're trusting the Lord when in reality we're depending on our own understanding. We cannot depend on our understanding. The last part of this is submit. He says, in all your ways, submit to him. In all your ways, submit to him. We should recognize that Jesus is Lord over everything in our lives. And that gets to be difficult when we get caught up in, in all the minutia of life. Seeking his will in all we do means we trust his will over our own all the time, every time. It means to listen to God and do what he says. And, and these are Jesus' ways, love rather than fight. Forgive rather than get even. Give rather than accumulate. Wait on him rather than rush in and fix things. Pray rather than worry. Keep your promises and commit rather than wait to react. And personally, this is difficult. You know, it's not that I don't believe that, that God can do far more than I can think or imagine. It's not that I believe God is wrong because I certainly know that God is not wrong in his promises. I know it by experience. I know that when I put my trust in him and I experience these things, then joy comes. Blessings come. And I've, I've seen that over and over and over in my life. And it's so awesome to experience those things. My problem is, the problem is my instinct, my instinct is to do is to trust what I feel rather than what God explicitly tells me to do. 
I want to trust my feelings. And it goes back to even like coaching third on my daughter's team. I want to, I, I, I've got a couple of seconds to decide whether we're going to bunt, we're going to hit and run, we're going to steal. All those things happen like that. And it's instinctual. I'm hero to zero just like that. So I have this instinct to do that. But the problem is that instinct sometimes works there, but it really doesn't work in other places when it becomes what God wants for me. God doesn't care if we bunt, right? Probably doesn't care. I think he cares how we play the game. That's what I tell my, my girls, right? He cares how we play, how we carry ourselves, what our attitudes are, but he doesn't care about us bunting or hitting and running or whatever we're going to do. doesn't care. But he cares about the way I carry myself. He cares about me trusting in him each and every day. Worry makes us forget about who's really in charge. When we focus on our, ourselves, we worry. We become anxious. We worry about so much. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our families. We worry about the things that we're supposed to do. I worried sick about this sermon on worry. Couldn't sleep. So I woke up about 4.30 and just tossed and turned. I was tired. Been fishing all day yesterday. Offshore, I was beat to death. And I was tired. But I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't grapple this. I was just concerned about, am I ready? You sure you're ready? It's almost time to get up. And Oh, it's just miserable this morning. There I am worried about my sermon on worry. How funny is that? God's sense of humor, right? When we truly fear God, Verse 7, fear the Lord and shun evil. When we truly fear God or trust God, it will be seen in a way we live our lives. People will see the way we live. It's going to come out of us. We listen to God and we do what he says each and every time. And people see that. Verse 6 says, and he will make your path straight. We see a similar promise in verse 8 when he says, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Because fear and worry and anxiety can make you sick physically sick. It increases the chances of cancer. It increases heart disease. It increases the effects of diabetes. All those things are proven. And there, there are truly people here right now who need to reach out for help who are just dying from anxiety and worry. And, and medication may be the route for you. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. But reach out for help. There are, there are people who are out there and are trained to help you through those things. So hear me say that just trusting in God may lead you to that being your next step. But the very first thing we have to do is trust God in it. Put your trust in Him completely, wholly, and unreservedly, and then He's going to open those doors for you. So what do you think it looks like practically? Well, there's some common verses that come to mind. When you feel God is away, you hang on to the promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel that life is falling apart around you, you hold on to the truth that he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. When your body begins to decay, you hold on knowing that when we die and leave this earthly body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. What a great scripture. When the world is turned against you and you're being accused of things you did not do, when you wonder if God too believes the lies or for that matter the truth, even though your trust is in Him is true, it means you hold on to the promise that there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. Because God does not care what you have done or who you've done it with. There is forgiveness and there's no condemnation in Christ. Such a wonderful promise. When we've sinned badly, we hold on to 1 John 1, 9, that if we truly confess our sin, desiring to repent, He will forgive us. We reveal trust when we forgive rather than retaliate or punish. When we love the person who is unkind to us. When we stand by what God says, even if it is at the risk of your job or the relationship you're in. When you're honest, even though it may hurt. When you serve, even when we are not, when we are the one in power and we're the one serving. You get the idea? You get the idea what that trust really looks like? It's scary. It's scary to be that vulnerable. It's scary to, to trust, but it's, it's sort of childlike to put that trust in there, to forget about the things of the past because we know God has done that for us. I mentioned yesterday we went fishing. And a uh, great trip, a few miles offshore, and, and we're catching these Spanish mackerel, patrolling through these little uh, bait pods. And every time it would hit a bait pod, a, a fish would hit. And... Um, a little bit through it, you know, the, the, it was kind of, um, the waves were kind of these slow rollers. So I, I, I look back and it's, it's uh, me and my son Jordan and a friend of his and the guy that took us, who, who attends this church. I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't want you to get my spot. So, um, so we're out there and I, I look at Jordan in the back and he looks kind of like I did when I had a kidney stone. And uh, he wasn't looking really good. I said, you all right? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. He's got a lot of me and he's a little, little prideful to say anything. And, um, but he was, um, as they say, a little green and um, didn't, didn't look too good. So I asked him again, you sure you're all right? So there's a, there's a time span when you get seasick. The best thing for seasickness is food and keeping food on your system. But once you pass the point of no return, food doesn't really work out all that well. So I give him a pack of crackers hoping and um, he, he bit one, and then all I saw was his back. And um, the rest of him was hanging over the side of the boat. He wasn't doing really well at all. So another thing that you can do while you're at sea is put on a life jacket and get in the water. And it usually calms, calms you down a little bit. Well, Jordan had made the great idea to go see 47 meters down on Thursday. And uh, if you don't know about that movie, it, it's, it's not one that you want to see right before you go fishing offshore. I'd already cut up with him about the guy owns this cage that we could get in while we're fishing and watch the fish go by, but he didn't buy into that too much. But I was about to put him in the water, um, very deep water, where fish were. And, and my, my selfish thought was, you know, the, the fish are really biting. Do we have to do all this right now? We had to stop, you know, and that was the selfish side of me. Um, but he was not looking good. So we get this life jack, put it on him. I said, you just got to get in the water. And he's like, I don't know about this. I said, nothing's going to get you. I was lying. You know, I didn't really know. But I was trying to be assuring as a father. So I put him in the water and his eyes were huge. Is what I need to do, what I need to do. He was scared. Until he reached up and he held my hand. just like what God does for us. All we have to do is trust Him. 
And he's right there. He reaches down and he holds our hand. And it's so powerful. And we've seen the promises of what God does for us in our lives so many times that we still are scared. And we still are stupid. And we don't do what he asks us to do. And it's so simple. It's so simple to just go, you know what, God? I think you do a better job than I do. I've tried it every day and failed every day. Let me give you a shot. And his promise is so real. That doesn't mean, though, that it's going to be easy and pleasant. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get cancer. It doesn't mean that the divorces don't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't fall flat on our face from time to time. What it does mean is that in every situation we have a choice. We get to choose what we're going to do. We can focus on the threats. We can be swallowed up by the fear. And we can stay there and stay in our worry and our anxiety. We can remember who it is that holds us, though. We can remember who holds us by the hand. If we focus on that trust, we're going to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of God. We're going to sleep better. We're going to live better. And we're going to live longer, even. Let me tell you the promise that I got for you today. Right out of here. The giant is down. The giant has been destroyed. The giant in your life has already been destroyed. We, we've witnessed this great victory from David, the story of David and Goliath. But the greater victory is the one where Jesus kicked Satan's butt. It's over. He, he, he is victorious. We are victorious. We live from victory, not for a victory. We don't have to fight every day. We don't have to get up and play a game and go, God, I hope I win. We already won. And we live in that victory. So we're called to live trusting first, not leaning on our own understanding and trying to figure it out ourselves and submitting to the ways of God, submitting to his will each and every day. And maybe today, for the very first time, you're here and you know that, you know what, I've, I've, I've been trying to do that. I don't, I don't even know who this God is. I've not made that decision to follow Christ. As, as you watch baptism, you're thinking, golly, I... Maybe I did that a long time ago, but I, nothing's really changed in my life. But you've never made that decision to, to truly ask God into your life, to ask Jesus to come in, forgive you of your sins, and begin to walk this trustworthy life out every day. And today's the day that you need to do that. And the way we do that here at Connection Church is we just simply lift our hands because we want to be saved because we like to celebrate. We like to raise the roof off of this place. If you didn't see it during baptisms, you're going to see it even more. But if that's what God is telling you right now, he's just banging on your heart, your heart's beating 100 miles an hour, and he wants to save you right now, just lift up your hand right where you are so we can celebrate with you. Amen. Amen. Right back here. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? God's calling you to save you desires for, for you to, to follow him each and every day anybody else
All right, so for the rest of us here today, what is paralyzing you? What is keeping you from taking your next step? And what is your next step? What I want us to do for as we close today is I'm just going to open up um, the front down here for you to come and pray as an altar. You may want to pray right where you are. Our prayer team is, is, is just pumped about today and, and, and pray this morning. Just wonderful prayers as we begin this morning early. And one of the prayers they prayed was that God would give them the wisdom to not speak until God tells them what to say as they pray with you. What a mighty prayer. What an awesome, awesome sense of obedience that they have. But our prayer team is going to be down here as well if you want to pray with somebody. And what I'm asking you to think about today is, is what does paralyze you? What keeps you from taking the next step? And what is the next step? For you, your next step uh, may be joining a connect group. It, it may be going through those waters and signing up for baptism because you've already made that decision in your heart, but you need to make it public so other people can hold you accountable and we can walk with you through that. We'd love to do that with you. Maybe it's becoming a connector and serving somewhere, serving in kids, serving in the hallway, serving in the parking lot. Maybe it's getting out of a relationship that's toxic for some of you, someone you're not married to and you you know that God is... Um, has been telling you along and along that this is keeping you from being close to me. And you need to end that relationship. Maybe it's a job that you're in that God's been telling you over and over, but your fear is about money. You're scared to death. And I'm asking you to quit your job right here and text your boss. But maybe you want to pray with somebody about it. We would love to walk you through those things. So right here for the next couple of minutes, I want us to stand together. And as God leads you, just move. Move down here to the altar, pray with someone where you're, where you're sitting, and then in just a couple of minutes, I'll close this in prayer. So move as God leads you.